Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this he sucks. Well, he's out. He's out. He's out. Yes, sir. is out. Look at, look at this. Freddy is out. And uh, Dean is mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in hundred years the sell the team oh yeah welcome aboard john pialli passball show mtr radio network hour two of the radio program hopefully you guys enjoyed the stuff going on a big thanks to chad hermanson and jake eichsty for joining the program in the first hour and we're going to continue the stuff going on with the passball show with an interview i recorded with former New York Yankees and Milwaukee Brewers right-hand pitcher Mike Buddy. And Mike played for the New York Yankees team that won the 1998 World Series and, of course, ends up finishing off his career with the Milwaukee Brewers over the next couple seasons. But, you know, we also went to Wake Forest University, was drafted there three years through college, ends up finishing his education, and now is an associate athletic director for Wake Forest University. So hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Yankees and Brewers Right-hand pitcher, Mike Buddy. Morning, this is John Pielli, and here with former Major League pitcher, Mike Buddy. Mike, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot, John. Hope you're doing all right. Yeah, yeah, everything's going good, man. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Of course, Mike, you know, you uh, you know, you had a chance to pitch for a little bit with the Yankees and the Brewers. You came up through the Yankees organization. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the process of coming through the Yankees system as a pitcher. <laughs> Well, you know, back in those, in, in those days, I was drafted in 1992. Um, you know, the Yankees as an organization weren't exactly lighting the world on fire uh, in those days. And I remember getting, to, getting down to Tampa the first week of, of minicamp after I signed and just being blown away by the, uh, the amount of right-handed pitchers that were in that organization and the size of them. I mean, it was uh, the Yankees were kind of jokingly known by other organizations at the time that if you were a right-handed pitcher, they only drafted you if you threw 94 and above or you were 6'4 or bigger. There was just a bunch of, of big guys, and then, you know, you look around the room and you see a, a little guy like Mariano Rivera, and you, you try to wonder if that guy's ever going to fit in and have a chance to, to make it to double-A, let alone the big leagues. And, you know, we had a, we had a high school shortstop named Jeter who had just signed that in that draft as well, and so... You know, the, the time in the Yankee organization was fantastic. You know, get a chance to, to work my way up through the minor leagues, 92 to, to 97, and then um, my rookie year of 98, kind of getting the fill in out of the bullpen. Um, and then you fast forward to, you 
2013 and you look at what Andy Pettit's done and you look at what Mariano's done and you look at what Jeter's done and is still doing, and it's just kind of, uh, it's surreal to think back to, to those guys when they were 22, 23 years old and you have no idea that they're going to be, you know, Mariano becomes the greatest closer in the history of the game and Jeter's break, broken Luke Eric's record and, you know, Andy Pettit, the winningest left-hander. So, you know, you, you have no idea at that time the, the potential that some of these guys had. Certainly, uh, getting a chance to play in the pinstripes was a dream come true for me. Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, I'm sure, you know, over the course of your minor league career, you had a chance, you know, you know, if not to play with them, to, you know, be associated with those those players. Did you see anything from any one of those three that would have made you think that they would have had the ability to stick around in the major leagues as long as they did? Um, yeah, you know, Mariano, the, the way the ball came out of his hand, um, even back then, we were teammates in Greensboro in 1993, and he was a, he was a starting pitcher at the time. Um, and it just, you could just tell the guys couldn't get good swings against him. Um, did I think that he would become the greatest closer in the history of the game? Certainly not, but, um, but I knew that he was going to be pretty good. Um, Jeter was kind of the same way. He was he was raw. I think he led, he led the South Atlantic League in errors in 1993. But you could just tell that the way he swung the bat with the natural swing and, and his arm strength and, and work ethic, really, um, he had a pretty good feeling. And, and the fact that he was a number one pick, you knew he was going to get the opportunity to, to play shortstop in the box someday. Um, but was he, a, was he a camp miss 20-year major leaguer with 2,000 hits? Absolutely not. I, there's a reason that I didn't go into scouting when when I retired from baseball. It's just uh, it, I just didn't see those things. Again, I, I'm not shocked that they were good major league players, but just to uh, to get to the level that they've gotten uh, was was surprising. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, Joppy Alley here with former Major League pitcher Mike Buddy. Now, you know, 1998 comes, you get a chance to make your Major League debut with the Yankees. You get a you know considerable amount of a chance to pitch for them. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about being part of that 98 team. Obviously, with the team winning in 96, you knew they were you know you were part of a good team. Um, you know, what was your feeling about being part of that 98 Yankee team? Well, you know, at the time, you know, I, I had a really good spring training that year and, and was hoping to make the team out of, out of camp. But, you know, there were just so many established veterans on that team um, that I, I really knew that my best bet was either to play and, and be ready in case somebody got hurt, and that's basically what happened. Um, but just looking around that clubhouse, and I told people that, you know, I, my wife could have made out the lineup card for that team that year, and, and they'd have still won, you know, 120 games. Tori just uh, he just had a, a good collection of good guys. You know, you look at the pitching staff, and when you've got David Wells and David Cohn and you know Dwight Gooden even in that locker room, Joe Torre didn't have to police us. You know, between between those guys keeping the pitchers in line, and then you've got Shelly Davis and Tim Raines, you know, Daryl Strawberry, um, just kind of holding everybody accountable. Uh, it was a, it was a, just a team, like I said, of, of veterans who. Still had enough talent physically to, to, to make uh, to make a good run, but then you mentioned young guys like Jeter and I guess Posada was considered young at that time. And, um, it was just a special team. I didn't realize it nearly as much at the time. Um, you know, the further removed I get from them, and I just look back at that season and, and the way that we won some of those games and just the attitude that we had. Uh, you know, we we could be down four or five runs midway through the game and. And there was just no no question 
championships that the Yankees won in those five years that the 98 team was probably by far uh, the best team, the best collection of talent. When you mentioned young talent and veterans and, you know, the, the way the team performed that season, I think would make the case that, that was probably the best team out of the four that won the World Series. Well, uh, I'm, I'm biased, but I would certainly agree with that. <laughs> now, nah, yeah, once again, John Pielli here with Mike Buddy. Now, you know, after you, you know, you're done pitch for the Yankees, you end up having some time with the Milwaukee Brewers. Tell us a little bit about those three seasons from 2000 to 2002, being part of the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen for you know a considerable amount of that time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, there's a stark contrast between organizations. Um, you know, from the Yankees to the Brewers, there's a little bit of a culture shock just in the way that uh, that you're treated. Um, by the organization, you know, the Yankees give you a lot of things that, that I just always assumed any major league team gave you, whether it was gear or, you know, clothes and shoes and treatment. Um, the Brewers were a little bit different, obviously, smaller market. Uh, it was a great time for me uh, professionally. You know, I, I tell people when I was with the Yankees, I was a 10-run guy. which meant, you know, if we were up by 10 runs or down by 10 runs, I got to pitch. <laughs> so it was... It was rewarding to get to go to Milwaukee and actually come into a game, you know, five to four in the, in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning and, and get to get some key outs. Um, but, of course, we weren't, we weren't the New York Yankees, and we weren't compete for, for World Series championships. Uh, but it was a special time for me. I uh, grew up in Cleveland, so Milwaukee wasn't too far away. And to make it up there in 2000 was the final season um, in County Stadium. Uh, and then the, to make the team the next year in 2001, which was the first year that we opened Miller Park. Uh, so it was kind of a, a, a neat time of transition to, to get to be a part of the uh, Milwaukee organization. Yeah, no question about it. And I tell you, you know, I, you, know be, you know, during your playing career, you actually got a chance to uh, be part of the movie for the love of the game. Tell, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, number one, what, what got you into that and, you know, how you felt about being part of the movie. Uh, yeah, it's actually dumb luck, really. And, and you know, when you're when you're a professional baseball player and you're on the verge of, of trying to be a, an everyday major league player, you really have tunnel vision. And I was kind of uh, back and forth on whether I, I wanted to do that. Um, but I really lucked into it. The, the 98 team made the postseason run. I was actually an alternate on the playoff roster. And so instead of traveling with the team, they sent me down to Tampa. And I was actually just doing simulated games down there, staying in shape in case somebody got hurt during the uh, division series and they needed to add me to the, to the World Series roster. And there was a kid down there named Ryan Bradley who was the first-round pick, and his agent was the Beverly Hills Sports Council, and they did movies as well as, as athletes. And to make a long story short, Ryan was going to play the role of Jack Spellman in that movie with, with Kevin Costner. And, he ended up uh, getting married that off-season, and the movie company couldn't guarantee him that he would be done filming by his wedding date. And I just happened to be uh, in his hotel room when that call came, and I said, hey, tell him I'll do it. 
And that was literally, that was my audition. They, uh, George Steinbrenner wouldn't let Universal Studios use pure actors to play, to wear pinstripes. George wanted the guys wearing pinstripes to have some minimal level of talent. So he kind of worked out a deal that you had to use baseball players for the baseball scenes. And, and I walked into it and it was a great experience. And, you know, it's looking back now and that movie comes on TNT on some random Tuesday night. And, and I can kind of chuckle and have a chance to get behind the scenes and get to know Kevin Costner a little bit, and it turned out to be a great experience. Yeah, absolutely, and that's how you know, you know, it was just a kind of a right place at the right time type of situation there. But you know, Mike, of course, you know, be, you know, before you uh, made it to the major leagues, you ended up uh, fin finishing college over at Wake Forest, and now you're, you know, you're involved in them, if I'm not mistaken, you know, the associate athletic director there. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the importance of, you know, finishing college and you know everything that you do that's led to you what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was I was fortunate enough to get drafted after my junior year, which you know in baseball is, is pretty common. Um, you've got a little bit of negotiating power, and, and I just felt like you know I had uh, I had done everything I needed to do at the college level, uh, you know, competitively, and, and took the opportunity to, to sign with the Yankees. But you know, it just it never made sense to me all throughout my minor league career. I kept thinking, you know, why did I work so hard for three years in college and I've got nothing to show for it? And so. Um, I was able to come back. I actually had Tommy John surgery in 2003, and while I was rehabbing, um, came back came back to Wake Forest and was a full-time college student again. And um, actually, really enjoyed being involved on a college campus. You know, the first time through, I was focused on baseball, and you know, going to class was certainly a, a requisite, and uh, and I did it, but I wasn't you know really focused on trying to learn uh, as much as I should have, and so. Coming back to college that, that second time through uh, was, was great. I mean, I enjoyed being back on a college campus. I fell in love with the whole student-athlete experience. And, and when my elbow really didn't come back from Tommy John the way I had hoped, I, uh, I just ended up staying here. Um, so I've been at Wake Forest for about eight, eight or nine years now in the athletic department, like you said. And, um, you know, I've got some credibility with our student-athletes just because of my background and uh, kind of take the opportunity to, to share things with them that, you know, stuff that I wish I'd have done or wish I'd known in college and try to keep them uh, pointed in the right direction. And, you know, I'm, I'm still around uh, athletics, which is great, but I'm, but I'm not having to, to get out there every day and run and throw and do all those things that I used to. So it's uh, been a great fit for me personally. Yeah, it's awesome, man. It's good to see you doing well, Mike. Listen, I want to thank you for having some time today. And uh, like I said, stay in touch, man. Maybe I can speak to you sometime soon. Happy to do it, John. I appreciate you having me on. Nice spot there with Mike Buddy, and he obviously tells a good story about, you know, how, you know, a lot of major leaguers aren't going to be, you know, 10, 15, 20-year veterans. And, you know, it's great to see that he finished up his education and now is, you know, in his second job working for the University of Wake Forest, where I'm sure he probably does okay. But, you know, we're going to take a break here. We're going to finish up a lot more stuff going on. I do want to get into a couple other issues. I also got two more interviews to play. So, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We'll be back after this. Are you searching for something different for your child's education? Consider Atlantic Christian School, where faith and quality education meet. Listen to what one of our students has to say about their experience at ACS. Atlantic Christian School is a family. 
Through one of the toughest years in my life, my ACS family stood beside me. My teachers were loving and supportive, and my friends shined God's love in different ways to make each day brighter. Atlanta Christian has a nurturing academic environment and is a second home to me. I am thankful for the school and family with which God has blessed me. Join us for Open House every Wednesday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at 391 Zion Road in Egg Harbor Township. Or enroll today. Visit us on the web at acseht.org or call 653-1199. Atlantic Christian School, where character, Christ, and community count. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. In your face, all over the place. We're online, 24-7, 24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station, MTR. Radio. This is Empty Blood. Go ahead, laugh, laugh all you want, but the fact of the matter is, this is... This is the setting for the greatest story ever told, okay? Faces Empty Blog. 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 Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Faces Empty Blog takes me to one of my most recent articles, and I wrote about the New York Mets, and of course the Mets... Uh, you know, everybody talks about how there's all this money left, you know, financially. And during this past week, uh, Jeff Wilpon addressed the, you know, the media and talked about what he expected for the Mets this year. And the fact that they do have more money to spend. Fred has been out there saying that the Mets don't have the financial uh, things holding them back like they did over the last couple of years. But, you know, the Mets obviously have better payroll flexibility coming into this year, and we talked about the needs that need to be addressed. But, you know, one thing I did want to get into is let's recap what has happened over the last couple off seasons, because Sandy Alderson has gotten a lot of credit for some of the moves he's made. Obviously, a trade for Zach Wheeler, you know, the move getting guys like Syndergaard and Travis Darno for R.A. Dickey look like they're going to be very good. And, you know, you, you know, you see some of the other, uh, you know, maybe the draft picks over the next couple of years end up developing and get themselves to a point where they could help the, ma- you know, the Mets at the major league level. But free agency has not been good to Sandy Alderson. And this is one thing that you've said over the last couple of years that could be considered a weakness in what Alderson has done. And part of the reason could be said, obviously, there hasn't been that much money to throw around. But, you know, I do want to recap what has happened. 2010 going into 2011, the Mets had no ability to sign a player for market value as their budget only allowed them to spend about $5 million in free agency. 
Now, everything that I say here is not including players that sign minor league contracts because I think Sandy Alderson has proven that he can kind of find a diamond in a rough or maybe find that player that's undervalued that nobody's really thinking about You know, when it comes to uh, bringing in a guy maybe on a minor league contract. So I'm not counting that. I'm only counting major league contracts. So 2010, 2011, the Mets signed free agent reliever DJ Carrasco to a two-year contract. Obviously, that didn't work out. They signed catcher Ronnie Paulino, outfielder Scott Hairston, and pitchers Chris Capuano, Chris Young, and Taylor Buckholz two one-year contracts. You know, I think Capuano turned out to be a good signing. Young, I know he got hurt, but helped the Mets a year later. Wasn't bad. Taylor Buckholz, of course, had some uh, some emotional and personal issues that didn't allow him to be a contributor for the New York Mets, so that didn't work out. Ronnie Paulino, obviously didn't work out. Scott Harrison was brought back a year later. That wasn't a bad move, but, you know, let's be honest. I mean, none of these players that were signed could be considered, you know, cornerstone pieces of a franchise that's looking to win baseball games so a year later 2011 going into 2012 the Mets had a little more freedom and they decided to use it to address their bullpen when they signed Frank Francisco to a two-year contract John Roush was signed to a one-year contract they brought back uh, Scott Hairston and Tim Burdak who was signed to a minor league contract a year before was brought back for to a guaranteed one-year deal and you know mentioned John Roush and Ronnie Cedeno comes over on a one-year contract so once again, not a lot was really done there in regards to helping the team go, you know, you know, be legitimate contenders. It looks like the Mets had signed really up through the course of two off seasons under Sandy Alderson a handful of role players. They didn't bring anybody who was going to be considered a top piece in the team. And obviously, 2012 going into 2013. David Wright signs a seven-year extension to remain with the Mets. It obviously was a big deal. But I'm talking about players who came from other organizations to help out the New York Mets. The Mets just signed Sean Markham and Brandon Lyon, who were both released midseason with the Mets. Obviously, the intentions were for the deals to work out better than they did. I thought Markham could have contributed a little more than he ended up doing. And Lyon, I thought for the value that Sandy Alderson signed him to, was a very good move. But... You know, at the same time, that was it. So you got three off seasons. You got very minimal moves and, you know, type of players brought in here. And obviously the Mets have a ton of needs. Like, you know, before I get into that, you know, I'm going to get into some of the minor league guys the Mets signed. And I think, you know, this is the one strength that Sandy Alderson has shown through free agency with the New York Mets. He hasn't been able to sign that player that is going to contribute right away and be a major part of your team. But he gets the guys that are under the radar. In 2010, going into 2011, he signed Jason Isringhausen, Tim Burdak, and Willie Harris, who all contributed to the 2011 Mets. And you know, a year later, he signs Mike Baxter, who was claimed on waivers a year earlier by the Mets, and you know, he was he was he was added to a minor league contract, became a good bench player for the Mets in 2012. Not so much in 2013. Chris Young was also brought back on a minor league contract. You know, August and September, you know, became a staple in the Mets rotation once he recovered for the torn anterior muscle in his shoulder. And, you know, you you look at that and you go into this past season, 2012 going into 2013, the moves that the Mets signed, you know, the players the Mets signed to minor league contracts turned out to work out great for them. Marlon Byrd was an all-star this year. You know, he didn't make the all-star team, but he had an all-star type of season before he was traded to Pittsburgh Pirates. Latroy Hawkins was one of the best relievers in the Mets pen in 2013, served as their closer for the last couple months of the season. Many teams would like to have had Latroy Hawkins last year. Scott Rice established himself as a solid option as a left-hand, only one-out reliever for the Mets. Pedro Feliciano came back 
and you know contributed for the Mets. Could be an answer down the road. Another guy signed to a minor league contract. And Carlos Torres, a guy who helped the Mets out both as a starter and as a reliever. It looks like he's on track to join the Mets again next season. Another guy signed to a minor league contract. And a guy who doesn't get enough credit, but he did play shortstop for the majority of the season for the New York Mets. And that was Omar Quintanilla, who, of course, helped the Mets out in 2012 before they traded him to the Baltimore Orioles. But... Here's a guy that served as the Mets shortstop after Ruben Tejada was sent down. He didn't do a terrible job. He also didn't do a great job. But, you know, remember, here's a guy that was known for his hands, known for being an, an infielder, and you know, first and uh, offensive player second, and actually did a serviceable job a, as a shortstop for the most part of the 2013 season for the New York Mets. But, you know, listen, uh, you know, there's some value in players that, you know, are brought in as undervalued guys. You know, obviously that helps in regards to role players. That helps when you're filling out your bullpen and your bench and maybe looking for a platoon guy that's going to go out there and play every day. But the Mets this offseason have to address some serious needs. They have to start out by addressing the, the bullpen. Obviously, the outfield has been an issue over the last couple of seasons, whether it's free agency or trade. They got to do something about it. They have to add another starter to replace Matt Harvey, not on the back end of the rotation, but on the front end of the rotation. And you look at other needs that the Mets may have as they're evaluating what they want to do going forward. They may need a new first baseman, but they may need a new shortstop. They're going to need a backup catcher. They're probably going to need another starter to go at the back end of the rotation in addition to the front end. And you add a couple relievers in there, and Sandy Alderson is going to have to go out there and spend a significant amount of money in regards to free agency dollars to make the Mets competitive for the 2014 season. If he doesn't, the Mets are going to probably fall. They're going to be a fourth-place team again and may challenge the Marlins for last place in a division. Now, this is a year that obviously they have money to spend. Do I suggest that they go out there and get you know that $20, $25 million player and kind of make that as the centerpiece of their offseason. I think if it works, do it. If not, I would still be in favor of the Mets going out there and getting about five, six, seven players in the five to $15 million a year range to service spots on the team. And I know everybody points to the Boston Red Sox and the way they reallocated the money that they that they gave away to the Los Angeles Dodgers in that trade in 2012 and obviously parlayed it into free agent signings like Mike Napoli, like Koji Uehara, like Shane Victorino, like Stephen Drew, uh, and obviously a couple other guys that I missed, you know, Ryan Dempster, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, you know, you could do it that way. But I think in the end, it all depends on the players. I mean, it's not about the money sometimes. It's about the players. If you bring a quality player back, it doesn't matter what you pay for them. You're paying for the results. Sometimes you pay more for certain results. Sometimes you pay more money and don't get the results that you're looking for, i.e. Johan Santana, Jason Bay. You know, two contracts that are coming off the books for the Mets this season. The key is, and it's going to be very important for Sandy Alderson, to be able to go out there and make a move that works. Now, listen, you can make the move that works on paper and it just doesn't turn out. I think you can get a pass on it. If you go out there and you sign a big free agent or you make a trade for a big impact type of player and they're hurt for the 2014 season, I think you get a pass on it. But due to the financial constraints that the Mets are in, and I'm still willing to give them a pass on this. I'm still willing to say that, hey, financially over the last three years has not been good for the Wilpons, has not been good for the New York Mets organization. And since the Wilpons want to keep the team, they do not want to sell the New York Mets franchise, I'm willing to give them a pass for the last three years. But as we go into this season, 
and Sandy Alderson has taken over and he's been the general manager for three off seasons already. This is his fourth off season. He has yet to bring in an impact type of player through free agency. And it has to happen. That has to happen if you want to be a wild card team, if you want to win a division, if you want to have a chance to play meaningful games in September. You have to bring in an impact player of some sort. And the Mets have a ton of needs where they need an impact player. And I'm not saying go out there and spend $20 million for two outfielders, a first baseman, a shortstop, two starting pitchers, and three relievers. I'm saying go out there and make your mark. Put Sandy Alderson's name on a big free agent signing or a trade that's made. Because right now, the only players that play in the New York Mets organization that Sandy Alderson has his name on are... Zach Wheeler, Noah Syndergaard, and Travis Darnell. And Zach Wheeler might turn out to be a great starting pitcher, which works obviously makes things look good for Sandy Alderson. And if Noah Syndergaard becomes a great starting pitcher, and if Travis Darnell becomes the franchise catcher over the next 10 years, then Sandy Alderson did some good. But there's the guarantee that all three of those moves are going to pan out is not there. And I'm not saying somebody's going to get hurt, but you know there may be one, one of the players that don't, you know, end up making out to what they're supposed to be. And Sandy Alderson has to do something to bring in a proven presence somewhere in his, on his team, whether it's an outfielder, whether it's a first baseman, a shortstop, whether it's another starting pitcher that, you know, gives the Mets a strength to have a dominant one, two, three in their rotation once uh, Matt Harvey is able to come back probably for the 2015 season. You know, he's got to go out there and spend. And either whether it's a free agent signing, and like I said, the Mets have not signed a free agent from another organization for more than two years. The two guys they gave two-year contract to were Frank Francisco and DJ Carrasco. And they've signed nine other players in three off-seasons to major league contracts. It's going to have to change this season. There's going to have to be a significant amount of money uh, you know, invested in the on-field product of the New York Mets if they want to have any chance to be competitive in 2014. And if they're not competitive in 2014 and take a step back, yes, they'll have the scapegoat in Terry Collins who will probably lose his job. But in the end, at the end of the 2014 season, some people are going to start asking for Sandy Alderson's head. They're going to start asking for Sandy Alderson to be relieved of his duties as general manager of the New York Mets because of the lack of progress. And you could talk about the future all you want, but in the end, it's all about the production of the team. And if he doesn't, if he's not willing or able to go out there and spend to get at least another bat or two in that lineup. Because obviously, offensively for the New York Mets, the offense struggled enough to we know that it needs to be addressed. Then, then I think some people are going to start calling for his job at the end of this season. But you know, while we're talking about the New York Mets, I'm going to play an interview I recorded with a prospect in the New York Mets organization. And his name is Alonzo Harris. He's an outfielder, most recently played with the Binghamton team. Prior to that, he moved his way up through the system, of course, with St. Lucie, Savannah, and started out in short season Brooklyn, but had started out as a middle infielder. Shortstop, played some second base through the first couple seasons, made the transition to the outfield. Harris is known very well for his speed. He's a guy that could bring a top-of-the-order presence in. And, you know, maybe down the road, the New York Mets and some of their fans will start looking at this guy as being an option at the major league level. We just talked about outfielders. Well, you know, here's my interview with, with an outfielder. 
uh, outfielder in the New York Mets organization, most recently from Binghamton, Alonzo Harris. Hopefully you guys enjoyed his spot. Good afternoon. This is John Pielli. I'm here with uh, an outfield prospect in the New York Mets organization, Alonzo Harris. Alonzo, what's going on, man? Everything's good. How you doing? I'm doing good, my friend. Doing good. Yeah, so tell us a little bit, you know, uh, you know, before we get into your playing career, a little bit, talk a little bit about this past season, you know, what it was like and your experience playing in uh, Binghamton this year. Um, this year, it was it was great, actually. Uh, it was cold. It was something different for me because, you know, the previous years I was in the South, um, you know, for the state leagues, the family leagues, you know, full sports, all those leagues, you know, in the South, so it was my first experience up north as the cold at the beginning of the season. And, um, you know, and other than that, everything was weird, you know. Yeah, now of course, you know, going up to Binghamton, you know, of course, going up to Binghamton, playing in uh, you know the Double A level, the highest level of professional baseball you played to this point. What were the biggest adjustments you feel like you needed to make? You know, speed, speed is obviously one of the biggest elements of your game. Now, tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do to prepare. You know, obviously, you know, your key is to try to get on base, try to steal some bases, and, you know, kind of create runs that way. And of course, you were you were drafted originally in 2007 as an infielder, as a second baseman. Uh, of course, you made the transition to the outfield. What, what, tell us a little bit about the transition from the infield to the outfield and what that meant to you. I mean, uh, honestly, it meant just um, just give me you know, more opportunity. You know, um, somebody get personal, you know, flexible. All right, we have hands right there. Outfield, or in the outfield, I can have this one in the interview. You don't have nobody, you know, you can bring me in. But you can stick somebody, you know, in the outfield, but at the same time, you know, you 
too, but um, the transition, it was it was nice because when I was in the outfield, it was more relaxed. And technically, man, it did all my life, you know, just the, the transition out to the outfield was like wherever the ball was hit, I already knew where the infield was going to be in, so I just picked up the throw it to the spot. And, and nine times out of the ten, nine times out of the ten, you know, they was there because I know I would be, you know, position on the field. Like, you know, high school, I played shortstop all my life, and but next I played second base. And um, so basically the transition, it was, it, was, it was easy, actually, you know, to get to the ball and go to where, you know, where I would be. So, in my mind, like, pre-play, in my mind, I already knew what was going on. So, it's just, it was easy. And once again, John Pielli here with um, outfielder in the New York Mets organization, Alonzo Harris. Now, you know, as you as as you end up, you know, preparing yourself for next season, what are your uh, what are your plans this off season? Off season, uh, maybe some winter ball, but I haven't got contact on that yet. But well, um, just uh, working hard, you know, of course, always work on my speed. Number one, try to get faster and faster every year, but I'm um, just you know, working on yeah, now, you know, as you were growing up, you know, and you, you know, you start to, you know, love baseball and want to become a baseball player yourself. Was there any player in the major leagues, either now or in the past, that you emulated? some time. I appreciate you giving me a couple minutes. Best of luck to you and hope to see you at City Field someday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot there. Alonzo Harris, of course, of the Binghamton Mets. You know, we'll probably see him. We may see him in big league spring training next year and probably moving from Binghamton to Las Vegas at some point and eventually at the major league level. So hope to see. hopefully that happens. Hopefully we get to see Alonzo Harris and what he could do at the major league level sometime soon. And hopefully our friends at MTR can excuse me as we're not going to be able to make this last break of the program. I'm going to segue right into an interview that I've recorded with Minnesota Twins second baseman Doug Bernier and Doug of course played with the Twins in the 2013 season he has a nice story almost five years out of the major leagues before he returned last year he signed with the Twins for next year he's going to be going to major league camp as a non-roster invitee with a chance to battle for a job so hopefully you guys enjoy the spot with Minnesota Twins infielder Doug Bernier. Good afternoon it's John Pielli I'm here with Minnesota Twins infielder Doug Bernier. Doug what's going on man? Yeah, pretty good, man. Pretty good. Now, you know, of course, you came up through uh, the Rocky system. You know, you spent a little time up there, made your major league debut in 2008. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, coming up through the minor league system and eventually making your major league debut. Well, um, I think it kind of started right when uh, I was finished in college. Uh, you know, I was expecting to get drafted, and, uh, you know, I was kind of 
watching around go by, watching go by. Uh, and, you know, I talked to some stuff, you know, a few of them here and there. And so it's kind of like, you know, I might get like a late round pick or something. And then, uh, sure enough, all the rounds went by, didn't get drafted. And then I was sitting there for about three or four days thinking, man, what am I going to do now, you know? Um, but then I got a call from the Rockies that said they wanted to sign me as a non-drafted free agent. Um, went out and played up in Paso, Washington, which is their rookie ball team. And, uh, and just kind of worked my way up, up to the ranks, played at, uh, went from there to high A, was there for two years, double A for two years, and then triple A for a few years. And, um, uh, just kind of worked my way up. But, you know, they, they treated me well. I, I you know, I, I enjoyed the time there with Colorado. Yeah, and of course, you know, 2008, you got a chance to play in a couple games with the Rockies, and, uh, you know, you, you get a, you get a couple of bats up there. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what it felt like, you know, finally making it up to the big leagues and how you felt when you you got on the field for the first time. Yeah, it was amazing. I remember getting called in the office and being told that I, was, I got called up to the big leagues, and it was just like a, a rush of emotion. It was, you know, all the stuff you, you dreamed of and you prepared, prepared for, actually coming true, it was, it was almost overwhelming. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I wasn't expecting it either. It wasn't anything where, you know, there was talks or anything like that. It just kind of happened out of the blue. And uh, when I went up there, and uh, I, was, I was nervous. You know, I had that nervous energy uh, because it was new and everything. But one thing that, that, was, that, I've always, that happened then and still happens today once I step on the field, I feel like everything kind of goes away, and that's like my comfort zone. You know, like I feel comfortable on the field. But, you know, and so once everything started, all the all the jitters went away, and I was ready just to play another baseball game. Yeah, and of course, you know, you end up, you know, getting a couple games in 2008, and then you're, you know, you're back to the minors, 2009, 2010, you know, 2011 and 2012. Now, getting a little bit of a taste of the big leagues, um, you know, was it a little bit frustrating that you didn't get yourself, you, you weren't able to get back there within the next couple of years? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that, that little taste I had the three days I was up there, I was like, wow, this is where I want to be. This is, you know, I, I want to work hard and come back. And... I mean, I just didn't have very good seasons, you know. Like, I would, uh, you know, I, I might play well on the field, but then I wouldn't, you know, I didn't hit very well or, you know, just things like that. And I just wasn't putting together a full, complete season. And um, so, I mean, I was frustrated with myself because I honestly believed and I felt like I could play at that level. And, you know, I, I felt like I just wasn't quite getting there. I knew I could get over that hump. And so I think that little page just kind of helped motivate me a little bit more and it just kind of helped you know, help push through the time, you know, the, the, the tough times, you know, trying to, trying to figure some things out in the minor league. Yeah, once again, Joppy Alley here with Minnesota Twins infielder Doug Bernier. Now, you know, as you as you get through these years, and of course, you know, you end up going to a couple different organizations, including the Yankees. You're playing at a bunch of bunch of different levels and a bunch of different teams. Was there ever any a time or a spot that you felt like you were close to getting back to the big leagues? Yeah, I thought in um, I was having a I was having an all right year in. Uh, uh, I think it was 2011. Um, I was playing every day. I was doing pretty well, and then, uh, uh, and then the last month I just tanked. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that that might have been a chance. You know, if I would have had a strong September, I don't know. You know, I, I would like to believe if I put myself in a position, you know, maybe things would happen. Uh, and so I thought maybe that year, you know, might have been my best chance. Uh, since uh, they say in baseball, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And since I finished pretty poorly, I didn't really give myself much of an, of an opportunity. 
Yeah, now of course in 2013, you know, you end up getting uh, getting a call up to the Minnesota Twins. You spend a significant amount of time there. You're getting 33 games, you know, which includes you know your first major league hit, you know, stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about you know your experience in 2013 and getting back to the major leagues with the Minnesota Twins. That was great. Um, first off, like uh, I didn't have my, my 2012 year was a, a little subpar. I felt uh, I didn't have a whole lot of offers coming in. Minnesota Twins infielder Doug Bernier. Now, you know, of course, you end up getting your first major league hit in a, you know, a game against, uh, I believe, the Angels, and Joe Blanton was the pitcher. You know, tell us a little bit about that experience. I'm sure that's something that was pretty special, especially after getting the little, the little chance in 2008 to play in the majors and not being there since. But, uh, you yeah, know, it was awesome. It was really cool to come back and get the first hit in Anaheim, too. I live about, I grew up about uh, three and a half hours north of there. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of family and friends, and so when we were flying out to, um, flying out to Anaheim, there was a, a lot of people uh, that were in town for that. And so a lot of people got to see it, see it, and share, share you know, share, just share, like, my excitement, you know. And I feel like there were a lot of people that were kind of on the journey with me. And so it was, uh, I don't know, it was a really special time to, to get it there. And, uh, you know, I just, my parents were there. Now it must have been a special moment. It's you know, especially in front of your family and friends. Now, you know, as um, you know, the the little bit of a gap that you had between you know playing in the major leagues in 2008-2013, uh, you know, must have been tough at certain times. Was there ever any point that you considered giving it up? Yeah, now if I'm not mistaken, you're uh, you're coming back to the Twins next spring training, right? Yeah, I'm coming back. Yeah, I'm coming back. Uh, I'm coming back. Uh, I'm coming back. Uh, I'm coming back. Uh, I
Okay, well, I think it started, um, I, I do some lessons in the off-season, and I have a lot of, you know, kids asking, you know, like, you know, what my coach wants me to do this, or, or you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I know it's good because this, why are they doing it? And so it's kind of like, I started writing just little pieces so it could help me out uh, answer some of these questions. And some of these questions, I, I, I had a pretty good idea because I'd say similar, you know, I had similar questions. But I didn't know, so I'd ask some of my friends who And so we just, so I started just writing articles. And just, I didn't really know where to put them, so I was them in my computer. And I was like, hey, she knew how to do website stuff. And she's like, yeah, let's put a website together. It's perfect. And so pretty much the idea was, was we just wanted to help kids and parents and coaches, and I guess everyone, uh, learn to play the game correctly, at least from, from what I've been taught and what other pros have been taught. And, uh, I mean, I feel, I feel extremely fortunate to have been around you know, some of the best players and coaches in the world, and I feel like it would almost be a disservice not to give some of that back um, because I feel like, you know, I think everyone kind of has that feeling sometimes, oh, if I would have known this 10 years ago, I might have been a better player. And so hopefully some of this knowledge that, you know, that a lot of the guys I've played with, myself, some coaches and scouts are, are able to put on uh, the website for these kids and parents and coaches that maybe it'll help them out and not go through some of the mistakes that I have made go through and try to, you know, untangle that big mess. Um, so, I don't know. I think it's a lot of fun. It answers a lot of questions. There's, you can go on there, and uh, if something's not addressed on there and you have questions, you can ask a question, and uh, you can, you'll get a message back pretty soon with an answer, uh, pretty quickly with an answer. And we're sort of trying to add more video and kind of make it a little more user-friendly. But there's a lot of good info on it, a lot of instruction and uh, product reviews that we use personally that we like. Uh, so, I mean, we're not, you know, we're not really trying to, uh, it, we're just, we're, we're kind of giving back, and I feel like we, I have a lot of friends that are kind of in that same deal that want to help kids as well, and so, um, that's pretty much the whole reason behind it. Yeah, it's phenomenal what you do. Once again, John Piella with Minnesota Twins infielder Doug Bernier. Now, just one more time, the, uh, the, the name of the website and how people can get a hold of it if they want to, they want to, uh, be part of it. Uh, it's probaseballinsider.com. And, you know, hope to see you out there and doing well and hope the Twins are able to turn around. Thanks a lot, Doug. Thank you very much. Show!